Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week two, day four of our study of Isaiah. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Isaiah chapter six. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start? Jesus, speak to us in your word today. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear the voice of the living God in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1. I will say that Isaiah 6 may be the most famous passage, especially the first part of Isaiah 6, maybe the most famous passage and the most familiar passage in all of Isaiah. Here's Isaiah 6, 1 in the NIV. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I want to pause right there. Isaiah is saying, um, and, and, and a lot of people make a lot of the the year this happened, right? The, the year that King Uzziah died. Um, a lot of people read into this something that it's not saying. Now, there are some extra biblical things going on and there's some, some context to this, uh, but I've heard many, many people say, well, you know, he, ha- he, he, ha- he said this because he was good friends with Uzziah or he, you know, Uzziah had done this wicked thing and now he's dead and Isaiah's, you know, contemplating this. And, and a lot of things, um, a lot of commenters are basically saying because of the relationship to the year the, the, the King Isaiah died, um, Isaiah is coming up with this. Regardless of what relationships Isaiah had with Uzziah is irrelevant. This is an extreme, supernatural, heavenly encounter that Isaiah is having. He's not making this up. He's not uh, deciding that this is happening. He's not imagining this. He He's not uh, a charlatan here making this stuff up. No, nothing like that. And again, there's there's people, I think, unbelieving commenters that, that say because he had this political relationship with Uzziah, he's like saying all this kind of stuff. This is, no, absolutely not. This is a prophetic supernatural encounter before the throne of God himself. We need to understand that. And this encounter, it it sounds almost identical to things that other people in scripture have seen. Uh, Ezekiel, Paul, John the Revelator, uh, even David, when he's handing the plans to the temple over to Solomon, he's like, I saw this. And then we see the plans of the temple and they, they're laid out like what Isaiah is seeing here. So, uh, even Moses, to some extent, saw all of this stuff. And over and over, these things all line up. They all have different words to describe what they've seen, but they all line up um, just just so 
precisely when you when you get past some of the imprecise language that the, the different humans, Ezekiel, Isaiah, John, the imprecise language they're having to use to, to explain inexpressible things, as Paul says, um, when you get past that, you see that these things are identical. They're identical. They're seeing identical things before the throne of God. And so I don't want to make too much of the timing of this, but for whatever reason, Isaiah felt it necessary to date this, right? So he's saying in the year that King Uzziah died, that's when I had this experience. This experience came in that year. So for whatever reason, that was important. That was important to Isaiah. It was important to the Lord that he record that, I believe. And so I don't want to make more of the relationship with, with Uzziah than is very clear in scripture here. Um, what we do need to, to make much of is the experience that's going on. Isaiah is seeing some of the exact same things that Ezekiel, John, again, all of these, these other people in scripture have recorded. They've seen very similar things. Uh, verse five, this is uh, a very, very famous passage, uh, maybe the most famous passage in the whole book of Isaiah. Verse five, woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. <clears throat> this is... Um, I'll say this. So uh, this is such a common response. And I, th I think that most people think that if they, they would be so cool to see the Lord. We talked yesterday about, you know, I, I want the Lord to show me himself, reveal himself to me. I want to see the Lord. Um, and there's not a great understanding of what that looks like and what that comes with. Most people, when they even just encounter angels who have been in the presence of God, the the story from Scripture, the accounts from Scripture, is they think they're going to die. Encountering an angel with the glory, the the just the 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 manifesting glory from being in the presence of God Himself, that angel comes and people fall on their face. Sure, they're about to die. Isaiah has this encounter where he is taken up to the throne room of God himself. And it, it doesn't say that he's, he doesn't see God face to face, but he sees the train of his robe. He sees the backside of God like Moses did. And, and Isaiah says, woe to me. I've seen God and then th this, this thing comes over him and he realizes, I am not worthy. Isaiah, as a prophet, may have been asking the Lord every day of his life. The Lord has revealed all these amazing things to Isaiah up until this point already. <clears throat> and Isaiah may have been asking every day of his life, Lord, I want to see you. I want to I see you like Moses did. I want to encounter you like David did in the heavenly places. I want to I be there. I want to I see you. And then all of a sudden, it happens for Isaiah. And Isaiah says, this is not good. 
says, woe to me. I've seen you and I'm a man of unclean. I'm not, it's not just that Isaiah is from a people of unclean lips. It's not just that Isaiah comes from Israel, which is totally unrepentant and in bad shape right now. He owns it himself. He's like, I come from a sinful nation and I'm a sinful man. I'm going to die. I can't see this. I can't, I am not worthy. I'm not holy. I can't be here. That's Isaiah's response. Isaiah says, I don't belong here. I don't deserve to be here. When we're faced with the holiness of God, and this is this is why self-justification, and instead of repenting and turning to the Lord in humility, but instead justifying our sin and doubling down on it, this is why it's so bad. Every single person who encounters God like this, and I've heard lots of stories, contemporary stories of, of people who have died or have had some kind of heavenly encounter. These things are real. These things, the Lord still does this even to this day. And every single one of them without fail, there is fear and dread and, oh my gosh, I realize that I'm a sinful person standing before the Lord. It's the same thing when Peter was standing before Jesus and Jesus tells him to let down the, the nets and the fish jump in the nets. And all, of a sudden, and all of a sudden, Peter realizes, oh my gosh, this is actually the son of God. This is, this is a holy person. And he falls down on his knees and he says, look away from me. I'm a sinful man. It's a realization of I don't deserve to be in your presence, God. That's the overwhelming emotion that comes over everyone that comes into the presence of God. I'm a sinful man and I don't deserve to be here. How dare we justify our sin when everyone that's met God, everyone who's encountered God in this way, and they see him for who he is, they all say the same thing. I can't be here. I don't deserve it. How dare we justify our sin? How dare we justify not humbling ourselves before the Lord? Verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew over to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So he brings this coal from the altar with tongs. Right? One of the seraphim, right? He's like this thing that flies and like, right? And it's kind of like, uh, Isaiah, wait, wait, wait. What is a seraphim? What are you talking about? He's like, listen, I don't have time to explain this. I saw things. I saw things. And so the seraphim, he's like, you're just going to trust me on this. The seraphim fly, he grabs, he grabs a coal from the altar with tongs and he flies over and he taps it against my lip and he says, you're forgiven. You're free. You can be here. Right? Our sin is atoned for because of Jesus. Isaiah's sin was atoned for in that moment. Our sin is atoned for because of Jesus and nothing else. We don't deserve to be there. 
one day we'll stand before the Lord. And if we put our faith in him, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we don't deserve to be there. Our sins will have been atoned for. And for all of eternity, for billions and trillions of years in the future, we'll marvel and we'll wonder at why, God? Why did you atone for our sins? Why, while we were yet in sin, did you shed your blood and die for us? All of eternity, I believe, will marvel at that question. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, or here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Colon, we're going to pause right there. Another famous phrase. This is the missionary, the missionary call, right? God in his throne room says, hey, you've been atoned for. Now, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah's like, send me. I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want. You've atoned for my sin. I'm your guy forever. And then God is about to tell him the most peculiar thing. The most bizarre thing, Jesus is going to quote this and reiterate this in a very interesting way in the New Testament. They give us understanding of what he's talking about. Here's what God tells Isaiah to go and tell the people. Verse 9 Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their eyes dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. I'm going to pause right there. Lord tells Isaiah, here's the message that I'm sending you is I want you to tell them, listen, all you want, but you'll never understand. You'll never hear. You'll never get it. Jesus, when he quotes this passage, he quotes it when he's talking about the parables that he speaks in. One point, someone says, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And he tells them in a a moment of clarity, says, I speak in parables because of this. Isaiah said, be ever hearing, but never perceiving. Be, um, <clears throat> be ever hearing and never understanding, be ever seeing and never perceiving. Jesus tells him, I speak in parables so that you won't understand the truths of the kingdom that I'm trying to tell you. And he does this for a purpose. And the Lord wants Isaiah to do this. And the best way that I've ever heard to explain why is something that an old missionary friend of mine, a missionary acquaintance of mine, used to do a long time ago. He said that he would be invited to 
um, because of, of some of the like kind of NGO work that he was doing. He'd be invited to go speak to these large crowds of Muslim men in North Africa from time to time. And he said he would get up in front of them and he said it was never less than a thousand at a time and never more than 3000. But he said he probably did this 20 or 30 times. You speak to at least a thousand Muslim men, sometimes 3000, but again, never more than three, never less than 1000 and all of these occasions. And he'd get up, he'd be invited to speak in front of them and he'd get up and he would tell them this parable. And he would say, and if you know anything about Islam, you'll understand this. If you don't know anything about Islam, you might not get this. But he, he said that um, there one day there was a, a Muslim man. He went to mosque on Friday for prayer, Friday evening prayer. And when he went in for prayer, uh, he was a wealthy man. He gave alms to the poor. He had uh, made the pilgrimage, the Hajj to Mecca. Um, you know, he he recited the, the you know the thing that the Muslims are supposed to say every day. It's like there's five pillars, five tenets of Islam. Um, that to be a good Muslim, you have to do those things. And uh, this guy did all those things perfectly. Did all of them perfectly. Um, and one day when he came into mosque for Friday evening prayer, he spent the entire time uh, imagining and uh, fixated on lewd thoughts about a woman. Entire prayer. He he did all the prayers, said them out loud, but his imagination the entire time was was on impure things. But then a man walked in next to him. Poor, but not so poor that he couldn't have made the Hajj. He didn't give alms to the poor. He didn't know the recitation. You know, there's only one God and all is uh, and, uh, and Muhammad is prophet. He didn't, he didn't know all those things. He, he hadn't been to Friday prayer in forever, so he didn't remember all the prayers and things he was supposed to say. But he fell down on his face before Allah. He said, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm a wicked man. Allah, have mercy on me. And then this acquaintance, this friend of mine, he would look at the, the thousand to three thousand Islamic men in North Africa and say, Before Allah, which one of these two men was justified, was right before Allah? And in unison, he said, one thousand to three thousand men would say, The first man, the man who did everything right doesn't matter that he had these lewd thoughts. He had done everything right. He had followed all of the religious things that he was supposed to do. And this friend, he said he knew exactly what was going to happen because he said it happened every single time. He said out of the 1,000 to 3,000 men, there was never less than one and never more than five. One to five men after every single one of these occasions would come up to him afterward. Say, like, I can't put my finger on it about that story that you told, but there's there's just something that I'm not quite understanding. He said, every single time those men gave their lives to Jesus. One thousand to three thousand men 
And there was sometimes one humble heart, soft enough to humble himself before the Lord and say, wait a second, there's something about that second guy that I identify with. The people that got to understand the parables when Jesus told them were the people that came to him privately later and said, Jesus, I don't think I understand this. Can you explain it to me? And all the explanations of the parables that Jesus gave, the explanations we get are because it was recorded when he told it to his disciples, when they asked him in humility. Isaiah, the Lord is telling Isaiah, go and tell them, be ever hearing and never understanding. Because their hearts are not humble enough to come to me and ask me, what is it exactly you're trying to say? They'll hear, but they'll never ask. And few people will. The Lord is looking for the humble hearts. He's looking for the ones like the disciples that will come in humility and say, I don't get it. Can you tell me what on earth you're talking about? And to those, the Lord says, yes. Verse 11, Isaiah says, Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. The Lord's telling Isaiah almost the identical thing that he told Ezekiel. He told John the Revelator, book of Revelation. They're both given a book to eat. And it's sweet in their, in their mouth, but it turns their stomach sour. And the Lord says, this is your prophetic ministry. It's going to taste sweet, but it is not going to go well. People will reject you. People will reject this. The Lord's a little bit more clear, a little bit less metaphorical with Isaiah. He's like, listen, tell them so that they can't hear because they're not humble enough to ask. The Lord's saying, I'm going to give you every opportunity to humble yourself before my prophet Isaiah, but they're not going to do it, Isaiah. Keep doing what I'm telling you to do until everything is destroyed. And Isaiah has to be sitting there. He's like, wait a second. I thought I'm prophesying so we can save these people. The Lord says, no, they don't want saving. They don't want it. You're going to testify against them so that no one has any right to say, but the Lord didn't tell us, the Lord didn't warn us. And that's the problem. Most of the time, we don't want saving. We want to justify ourselves. We want to live in our sin. 
and we want to continue in our sin. We want to make excuses for our sin. We won't hear the Lord. We won't hear the Lord. And we won't hear the Lord. And the Lord says, tell them. But I guarantee you they won't listen. Tell them anyway. Tell them in such a way where they have to be humble enough to come and ask after the fact. Because that's the only way you're going to know the hearts that are humble enough before me to be saved. So I want you to go out and intentionally obfuscate this. Intentionally make it difficult so they have to be humble to be saved. Because only the humble can be saved. Will you and I be the humble ones? Will you and I remain the humble ones? Will you and I keep our hearts soft before the Lord so that we'll be the ones that come and say, there's something about that guy, that story that you told that it's not quite right. Will we be like the disciples that come to Jesus and say, I don't get the parable. Will you explain it to me? Will we be the people in Isaiah's day that are like, Isaiah, why do you talk? so strange. What has the Lord showed you? I want to know what the Lord has shown you. Will Will we be humble enough to go to the Lord and say, I don't get it. Help me. For the 10 week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.